0: Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash audioboom This
1: is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on BlueMoonPodcast.com. It's your club, and this is your show. Hello and welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast. Now, the football season might be on hold, the forthcoming Euros cancelled and the general population maintaining a programme of social distancing, but that's not going to stop us talking about City. I'm your host, David Mooney. I'm joined remotely by OneFootball's Dan Burke. Hello. Hello. And today's show is going to be a mixture of everything, including the latest on City's appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport on their Champions League ban, and a trip down memory lane with a dip into our archive of interviews. And uh, now we've learnt this week that the upcoming Euros will be played in 2021, giving European football time to catch up on the missed weeks, possibly months of the season, while the world fights against the coronavirus pandemic. Also this week, the Court of Arbitration for Sport announced that it can't hold any hearings until May at the earliest, which won't bring about the speedy resolution to City's appeal on their. Champions League ban that they were hoping for I've been speaking to Goal.com's Jonathan Smith to get the latest
2: So the latest is what we were a month or so ago Manchester City have lodged their appeal with the Court of Arbitration for Sport over the two year ban by UEFA for serious breach of uh, financial fair play regulations City deny any wrongdoing and uh, they believe that they will be cleared once that uh, hearing has been heard by Cass The problem is now, when is it going to be heard? The latest from CAS was that they've announced that they won't be having any in-person hearings uh, until the beginning of May, they say. that They're working remotely. Um, Obviously, coronavirus is having a huge effect on everything worldwide. Switzerland has been badly hit by it. Uh, The schools have closed there. They've had various cases. So... It's going to affect Cast like it's going to affect everybody. I spoke to Cast to see what the latest was um, as of uh, this week. I got a response which was that with respect to Manchester City and UEFA, as it is still at an early stage, it is not possible to say when or how the hearing will be conducted. A procedural timetable for the arbitration will be established by the panel once it has been appointed and after consultation with the parties. So... They are, there are cases to be heard by Cass at the moment, and City and UEFA currently isn't one of
1: them. What could it mean for the next Champions League season, assuming that that gets underway in August, which it might not?
2: Yeah, obviously City wanted this resolved as quickly as possible. After the ban was announced, Ferran Soriano did an interview with the City website where he said that they hope to have this sorted out in an early summer um, and that was obviously before everything happened with coronavirus we were working on the old timetable of the season ending at the end of may european championships and then champions league qualifications that's obviously out the window at the moment the latest that UEFA said on tuesday was that they hoped to have all the leagues sorted by june the 30th if at all possible uh, you know who knows if that's uh, is possible And there's obviously going to be knock-on effects for Champions League qualification. They're due to start around July. Um, You would think that that would be the cut-off point for knowing who was in and who was out in terms of automatic qualification for the group stages. Um, And there is a possibility that City could apply to AFA for the ban to be suspended pending the... Court of Arbitration appeal. So, with with no date in place for that, that certainly comes into play, but it's it's not been used as as yet.
1: Could there be legal implications if City are still banned when football resumes if Cass later finds in their favour? I haven't spoken to anyone about the legal implications if City are banned, uh, and the
2: the competition resumes without them. But you would have to think that there could potentially be problems. You know, if you're talking about City potentially losing close to £100 million if they're not involved in the Champions League next season in terms of prize money, uh, crowds, uh, receipts and that kind of stuff. So it's a huge, huge penalty financially if they're not in, involved in the Champions League and were cast to find in their favour at a later date. Yeah, you'd have to think that that, that the implications are huge and that there could be a legal process... Similarly, you would wonder if if something would happen the other way around, if City were allowed in the Champions League and Cass were ultimately to find in UEFA's favour, then whoever finishes fifth uh, next season would, would, would have a similar argument that they lost a lot of earnings um, on the basis that they should have been playing Champions League football. So the ideal situation is that this is sorted out before... The Champions League starts, and it resolved completely without any any sort of possibility of more appeals. Um, but the way it's going, it's running out of time, uh, and it it must be a, a huge concern for everybody involved,
1: particularly UEFA. And John, just run us through what UEFA's meeting decided with the Champions League now. How and how optimistic do you think that is? I think UEFA have tried to give themselves as much
2: wiggle room as possible, and it's completely sensible. Obviously, the one clear message was that Euro 2020 has been uh, cancelled postponed for 12 months, and that gives a lot more freedom in the calendar. I mean, we're looking at next season. We've got this season to, to conclude, and at the moment, who knows what's going to happen with that. Obviously, that is a huge effect on City. We've got that uh, last 16 game against Real Madrid. You know, Who knows when these games are going to be played? It doesn't seem like it's going to be any time soon. Um and then there's it, talk about mini tournaments, that kind of thing. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot for UEFA to look at. They've set up a working group to try and deal with this and it, 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 it's just going to be a changing situation. So I think they've got to try and give themselves much, as much room as possible to, to think about this season, the impact of next season. There's there's, there's domestic leagues which need to be finished. Obviously Europe is at Different stages in terms of this pandemic, uh, this outbreak. You know, Italy or and Spain are much further ahead than than the UK. They're in the, in the grip of it, and you, you don't know what's going to happen in England with the Premier League. So, I think the easy the easiest answer is to say nothing has has been resolved in terms of the future of this season and what's going to happen next season. Everything is completely up in the air. So. You know, we don't even know if City are going to finish this season in the Champions League, never mind starting
1: next season. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Goal.com's Jonathan Smith there. Um, Dan, just give me the latest from, from Germany at the moment. Believe it or not, this is actually only a week ago that we spoke on uh, that special about the Arsenal postponement, and things have changed so rapidly
3: yeah what an in, intense week it's been really um yeah so I mean in Germany um, in football terms you know well basically all clubs are um are, are in lockdown really there's no uh they announced yesterday the the the, um, the Deutsch, uh, German football league have basically announced that the um training is going to be kind of cancelled until further notice for all clubs uh so players are training at home I think I saw sort of, uh by Munich have uh, delivered exercise bikes to all their players um, so they can they can do some training at home Um, in terms of just normal life uh, everyone's been advised to stay indoors and um, all the bars and clubs and museums and all that sort of thing have closed down I think you can still go to a restaurant at the moment but I I don't think they're gonna they're gonna last much longer either so uh, so yeah strange times we're living in
1: yeah, I mean, City's players themselves have also been videoing themselves working out at home. Uh, we le- we learnt this week that that the CFA is uh, is not open um, as well. Uh, City's players, I think Otamendi's videoed himself on Instagram doing it, doing his workout. I think Jesus has as well. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan's been doing a a Q and A with fans of of random questions. So Mm. it's been, it's really kind of been a make your own entertainment time.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the, the question at the moment is how long is all this going to last? And and you know, in football terms, if players are just doing a bit of fitness training at home. how how is the game going to look when everyone sort of eventually does come back? Are these players going to be really rusty, having not played matches for such a long time? You'd imagine so, wouldn't you? Um, so yeah, it's it's very very weird times, and and I can't really get my head around it at the moment.
1: Just on a th- with a quick thought on that rustiness thing. It's not a, it's not like there's any sort of like Champions League ties in the balance. Or no, like. no, of course <laughs> not, not. Yeah,
3: yeah, nothing important. Yeah, yeah.
1: Be <laughs> a great laugh are meant <laughs> to see everybody come back full stone overweight and see what's what's going to happen. Um, we have also learned that clubs and players can get temporary contract extensions so uh players like David Silva for instance whose contract would run out at the end of this season um or in the summer if the season it extends beyond that city could sign him up on a on a temporary basis do, do you think that would that that that's going to kind of ease a lot of worries about about the delay
3: yeah i would think so i think um I, that's the sort of thing that's going to have to happen because obviously a lot of players contracts are, are expiring in june um and you do wonder what, yeah, what what these squads are going to look like when when the cl- clubs come back. Um, there was some talk of you know, however long this hiatus goes on, that maybe they should open the transfer window now so that at least the the media has something to report on, fans have something to sort of get excited about, and clubs can start thinking about how their squads are going to look when everything comes back together. Um, and I think on a city level, it's quite heartbreaking to think that you know, depending on how long all this goes on, that we could have seen David Silver's last game for the club. So if they are able to keep him around, um and they are able to finish the season at some point over the summer, perhaps, that would be the ideal scenario at this point, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, just on City's appeal as well, um what what do you think there are any do you think there are any problems if, if it's not heard until May, given that I mean the season that the Champions League has been slated for a finish like in the summer. Um so that there are certainly plans to play a Champions League next season, whenever that that starts.
3: Mm. In a way, it might end up being quite good for City, and that the, the delay means that if they, whenever next season is, uh, if they do. Um, have the Champions League as normal that perhaps the hearing might have happened in time for City to be excluded from that uh, season of it so they might end up playing in the Champions League next season um, I certainly don't think uh, you know, as you said they're, they're not going to be hearing any cases until May now and, and I think this sort of stuff has been put on the back burner because it's just not a priority is it, people's health and safety is, is the priority at the moment and you're not hearing anyone um, talking about uh, City being banned at the moment or City cheating and all that, that sort of stuff that was going around a few weeks ago. It all, It's all kind of faded into irrelevance quite quickly. So um, I think it could be a while before we pick up the thread of that narrative again really. And um, And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if City did end up playing in the Champions League next season as a result of it.
1: Yeah, but you can't cheat if, you, if the season doesn't exist, mate.
3: You can't, that's true. That's very true, yeah. So, yeah, if a tree falls in the, the woods and no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Good point. Yeah, yeah.
1: if a football match happens behind closed doors and nobody watches it, does it happen Yeah.
0: <laughs> Selling a little or a lot...
1: now uh, this week's Patreon bonus show is all about goals that we remember because of iconic bits of commentary uh, the full version of the show is available for everyone who supports the podcast by $2 a month take a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast uh, but for now here's a flavour of what's in this week's so uh, I'm going to move on to uh, our second choices now uh, and I've grouped these two together and uh, you will understand why so Dan this is uh, this is your uh, choice If has caught out certainly not the end of the chances can he score he does Neville puts his hands to his head
4: and wonders what he's done. Peter Schmeichel celebrates, but Sean Gota, who didn't have a career at Old Trafford like Schmeichel's, but started in English football there, the Bermudan striker has scored against Manchester United. This is 99th goal for Manchester City.
1: And uh, then this one is uh, my second choice.
4: And here is Gota. 3-1... That's the most important thing. Add to that 100 Manchester City
2: goals
1: for Sean Gota. So, fairly obviously there. We've both picked Sean Gota in the last derby at Main Road. Uh, Dan, why did you go for the first goal and not the second one?
3: Uh, I would have thought that was quite obvious, actually, David. But uh, <laughs> it was, it was Gota uh, picking Level's pocket, wasn't it? I mean, I... Um, I, I think like a lot of City fans have, quite, have warmed to Gary Neville in recent years. I mean, there was that um, that video of him a few weeks ago and there was all the sort of financial fair play stuff being talked about of him being quite defensive of um, of City's kind of ownership model on, on Sky. And I remember saying to a few people at work, if you told me when I was in my early teens that one day Gary Neville would be staunchly defending City being, knocked out, being um, excluded from the Champions League, like I would have laughed my head <laughs> off because there's so many things in that sentence that would have sounded wrong to me. Uh, as a young man, because <laughs> I absolutely hated Gary Neville, as uh, you know, a lot of City fans did. He hated us, there was a real like mutual hatred there. Um, he was probably my most hated uh, United player at that time, and um, and to see him make a complete fool of himself in the last ever derby at Main Road, uh, gifting a goal to Sean Gota was you know, pure brilliance pure poetry kind of thing and and especially the the clip of him when he's walking away with his hands on his head and he spits and the wind blows the <laughs> spit right back into his face <laughs> it's something that I a memory that I will always treasure
1: now you see, I picked the second one because, uh, well, first off, I used it in the very first ever opening to the Blue Moon podcast. We used to have bits, clips, of commentary, and that was the that was the goal that I used. But second off, it's such a good finish. It, it is the yeah. Build, the build up to it is incredible. There's a, a lovely ball. I think it's from Nicholas Jensen into Iel Berkovic, who one touches it straight through on the volley, straight through the United defense, right into Gota's path for him to just sit. Barthes down, loft it over him, and then as he's running away, he does that little shush to the United fans, as if it, like he's, he doesn't really want to do it, but then he thinks, <laughs> hang on, I'm, I'm going to do this, and he, he like, shushes the, the the away end, and it was at that point as well, where I think we kind of knew we were going to win that last derby, United had been good in that game, fairly good mm. in that game, um, and I think we knew we were going to win that last derby at that point, and that's that, It just it, the memories come flooding back for me with that goal.
3: <laughs> Didn't we go 3-1 up with like half an hour to go or something like that? In my mind, it was ages to go by the time we went 3-1 up in that game. And, yeah. um, and United sort of came back. I remember John O'Shea pretty much missing an open net. Um, in front of the Platte lane stand uh, towards the end. But it was just it was a just a bit of a sort of celebration after that third goal. It kind of clinched it, didn't it? And after going 1-0 up um from an Elka quite early on and then United equalising, I remember everyone thinking, well, we're gonna lose this now, aren't we? So that that's another reason that go to the first goal for Go to was a, a big one for me, because that kind of like got us back in front and gave us the belief to go on and win the game again.
1: Yeah, you're right. He did. Uh, John O'Shea missed an open goal towards the end. He prodded it wide um, yeah. from about two yards. And also, I remember Peter Schmeichel making a, 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 a quite a decent save from a, a Solskjaer flick at the near post. And it right. just kind of it yeah. came right at him, and he, he he blocked it and then pounced on it. And it, the camera cuts to Solskjaer as to say, like, and he just looks at him as if to say, "You traitor." And it just like it, it just I, I just things like little things like that stand out to me. Um, <laughs> No, this was the first time City named a non-English a, a lineup with no English players in. I don't know if you knew that.
3: I did not know that. No, no.
1: It was uh, pe- people go on about oh that you know that look at what the what the Abu Dhabi money's done for City, and it's actually the first the the first Derby at Ma- the, the last Derby at Main Road was the first time City named a, a team without an Englishman in it. <laughs> so now uh, a little test for you, no cheating. Uh, can you name that lineup?
3: I don't think I can. I'll, I'll have a go. Um, so it's obviously Schmeichel in goal, um, Jensen left back. Um, was it Vikings and Matomo centre backs?
1: Yep. Yeah, He's four for four so far.
3: Yeah, uh, Right back would have been. Sunji High?
1: Yep. Yeah, was there it? Go. Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: Um, midfield, then uh, Tiato. did he play?
1: Uh, Tiato did play. He did. Berkovic? Uh, Berkovic, yes. Yep.
3: Yeah. I want to say Bernabe didn't play because we had a bit of an injury crisis, didn't we?
1: he was on the bench. He was was an unused sub, yeah.
3: Okay, so the forwards would have been Anelka and Gota. Yep. And I'm struggling a bit now.
1: Right phillips There are two two names you're missing. Right, phillips came off the bench, so I'm not going to rule you out on that one. (laughs) Um, No, I can't think of it. Go on. Uh, You are missing... uh, Keegan must have played a back three for this one. Right. Uh, or yeah. Sunji High must have played left back. I oh, no, because Jensen would have played left back. So so um uh, Richard Dunn was in the team. Ah yes. So I think he's played a back three, Dunn, Vikins, and Matomo yeah. with Sunji Hai and, and Nicholas Jensen as wing backs. Uh because also in central midfield was Mark Vivian Foe.
3: Oh, of course, yeah, because he played the uh well it wasn't an assist, was it, for the go-to goal, <laughs> but it was an aimless pass forward which Neville uh tried to shepherd out a player and made a right mess of, yeah.
1: That's the one. So, uh, just to finish on the uh, on the final Derby at Main Road, uh, what are your favourite memories from that day? I'm assuming you were at that game and and uh, and everything. I was,
3: yeah. I think it was probably only the second Derby that I'd ever actually been to as well. Um, the first one being the one a couple of seasons previously when Beckham scored the free kick uh, for them, and I just I remember it me- it meaning so much to us, obviously because it was the sec- the, the last Derby at Main Road, uh, but just. Because it was a Derby in general in those days, you know, we'd not beaten them for thirteen years, had we? Since nineteen eighty nine, it was the last, the previous uh, win over United, so everyone was kind of like really, really desperate to win it. I remember getting into Main Road quite early. I was sitting in my um, granddad's seat in the main stand that day, and the United players were warming up down at the Platt Lane end. I remember just going down to the front of the stand and trying to stare Fabian Barters out <laughs> while he was warming <laughs> up. I thought, I'll just any, anything I can do to get an advantage today, I'll do it. I was only like 13 at the time, you know. and um, It clearly worked. It works, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it took much to psych Fabian Bartas out to yours. I think he did a lot of it himself. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was... Uh, and, then, and then sort of leaving the ground afterwards and, and walking down Parkside Road back to the car and, and everyone was just, you know, elated. It was just a, a great great feeling for everyone and everyone was enjoying it together it's beautiful
1: that's some of this week's Patreon bonus show if you'd like to hear the rest where we talk about some uh, some other iconic goals from commentary then you can sign up now patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and it's just two dollars per month and that'll give you access to that and the archive of all our previous bonus shows from the last few seasons as well Uh, this week's we got a bit carried away with ourselves as well so it's uh, so it's about half an hour so it's uh, it's a really good listen even if I do say so myself Uh, now moving on and uh, with football on hold we're taking the opportunity to play out some longer versions of interviews that have never been heard at length on the Blue Moon podcast. He wasn't particularly loved by the fans when he first arrived, but sure enough, by the time Sean to left City, he was a bona fide club legend. In 2014, I caught up with the ex-City forward to get his memories about playing at Main Road, starting here with his approach to the season in the year 2000, as City returned to the Premier League.
4: I was excited about it because we, you know, we obviously got promoted to the Premiership, and there's these top quality players that are coming too. And I, I'm looking at them in training, so many training sessions. I'm thinking, almost like finally, this is the quality I want to be around. This is the quality that I can absorb from and learn from and play with and, and, and further myself. And so I was always, I, I just loved that competition because I wanted to be around this sort of quality. I wanted to play with this sort of quality week in, week out. And so I didn't look at anything. They're coming to take my place. I was looking and saying, I could play with him. I could play with him. Um, and they can now see, you know, that this is something that, that I, saw, I look forward to as well. Um, so when George George came and Anelka and, and, and so on and so forth, I, I, was, I was delighted to be playing alongside the quality.
1: How did you feel when Joe Royal lost his job?
4: It was a big surprise because I was actually... I was out out and about with my wife, and and just heard the radio saying that Jurov has resigned or mutual agreement, and I was like, hold on, we were just two days ago we were sort of in work and stuff, and I was like, Jurov's been let go, like, oh, it's been resigned. What? So I called, I start calling one or two of the other players, like Gerard, and like, have you heard this? Have you heard this? Jurov's been, um, he's resigned and or oh, been terminated. So it's like. A big surprise and I and I was sort of thinking like we're, we're, we're on the riser is that the right thing you know that's that was my feeling the, like we're on the rise. we're now got ourselves you know um, in the premiership and we did we did actually get relegated but I was thinking Joe could get us back uh, I had belief in Joe I had I hundred percent belief so it was a real surprise to me um, and they decided they obviously ran ahead with with Kevin Keegan, so you you have to dash yourself off no matter how much you you like a manager or dislike a manager, you just gotta get on with it. Um, so it was a surprise to me, and you know I was I was one that was like because he, he had he had belief in me and, and his belief was in his actions and playing me week in week out.
1: And obviously after um, you finished at City, you were you were quite critical of of Kevin Keegan's management style. Uh, did you, was it just like a clash of personalities for you? or
4: No, I, no, I, I just felt that... Um, and let me say this. Joe Royal and Kevin Keegan were were, were, were almost like opposites. and that Kevin Keegan wanted you to go out there and play. Believe in yourselves. Go out there and play. And no player on the field will play in my team unless they want the ball. And it was almost the opposite because we we would that was a shift because we were a, a working class team it was about everybody working hard for one another they weren't no big time charlis um, you know everybody, everybody to really we all sort of had average cars that, that's how we were and it was early when Kevin King came that the, that the lifestyle changed for players you know started seeing one or two Mercedes come in and BMWs and then Ferraris and that's when it changed, when the top quality players started coming in, but we were sort of working class, then we went to, um, uh, you know, middle middle class, if you like, in terms of our, our standard and how we was. And so Keegan was was about about playing, playing out, playing, playing out the back, playing through the thirds, and it wasn't, it was just about freedom playing, it wasn't, it wasn't, Sometimes if we played a team and they outplayed us, what I found was worse the tactics for us to outplay them. And 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 really, its philosophy is you are good enough to go during outplay them. Um, so that's what I found. I just found that it was tactically worse the tactics for us to outplay them. Now that we're halfway in the game, they're outplaying us. What what shifts are we making? What adjustments are we making? Um, and so that was. That was a learning curve for me, um, and that, that, that's what I found the difference. But it was a joy because, you know, as a forward player, he was willing the team to create opportunities and, and go on and, and score goals. So
1: I was going to say one of your best goal scoring seasons. Yeah,
4: so it was great. And, and it was because of the players like Eli and Isle Berkovich, Eli Bernabe and I, or Berkowitz, um, and I or Berkowitz those two players, you know, they came in and, and was assisting in creating so many opportunity forwards it was like oh you'll, you'll get one or two chances in a game so with that I, all I was doing was, was making sure that my finishing was spot on because I knew in games I'd get opportunities um, and so, so it was great for me it, it was great for me
1: And you were captain for the final game at Main Road
4: how did, how, how did that feel? It was awesome because I, I mean I, I was also captain um, for a period with, with Joe Royal and, and that, that really was one of the proudest moments of, of playing at the club because in the first year and a half a lot of people would not recall but I was getting serious from Men's from City fans and so much so that when they used to call out players numbers you know number 9 Sean Girder or, or, or 10 Paul Dickoff, the crowd used to boo me and I had that pretty much for the first year year and a half but it was my goals and my endeavour that, that, that turned that around. And so when I had achieved being, being the captain, it was a real proud moment and it showed that I had you know, come to Leaps and Bounds and put the hard work in and, and sort of achieved the point that he saw well enough for me to be captain of the club. And um, it, was, it was a great honor for me to, to have this, you know achieved that and wanted to take that on. So the last game of the season, um, it was emotional. It was emotional because uh, when Kevin Keegan uh, gave me the captaincy, because it was about trying to control, contain the emotions. And I'm seeing banners that are saying, Feed the GOAT, and we love you, GOAT. And, and, and I'm looking and thinking, you know, this is, this is the last game at Main Road. And this club has been over 100 years, and, and people found the need to put banners of Sean on the, the on this historical day in in parallel to it being the final game for the club. And I and, and that's what hit me that that's that's what it means. That's that's, that's them showing their love and appreciation of me. So that was emotional to see that. I actually remember even warming up with Robbie Fowler and saying that, you know, I said, This this is this is absolutely awesome and he was saying, These people love you her. And <laughs> and it was a strange, bizarre conversation because I'm um, at that time, I sort of realized, this is Robbie Fowler, somebody I look, looked up to playing, goal scoring and all the rest of it, and his, and he's having this conversation with me, saying like, I would love these fans to love me the way they love you, and I'm sitting there thinking like, you're Robbie Fowler, I've seen you bank goals here for everybody, for, I mean for Liverpool and for England and all that, and I'm thinking, how bizarre is this sort of conversation. Um, and then we just kept warming up, but it was, it was an emotional day, and, and it did affect my performance because it was hard to contain the emotions of it, and, uh, but I enjoyed it. Do you know who still holds the, uh, the record for the fastest Premier League goal off the bench? I know at City it was myself, nine, nine seconds, so hold on. It's, it's still the Premier League record? It's still the Premier League record. You know, I was motivated. At that time, I, that was in, in the last year, myself being at the club, and I wasn't certainly starting regular. And I knew that my part of the game was was coming on because at that point, you know, Keegan was having belief in other players to start, and, and my part was, was coming on 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And, and it was funny because I was coming on and scoring and my time was getting less, you know, my time was getting less and, and, and the records will show, if, if you look at the last probably 10 games that I was playing, I was coming on at will start of 30 minutes and I'd come on and score and the next game I'd come on and I'd be 25 minutes and I'd score and it, it got down to a point where I was coming on like 7 minutes and, I, and I'd score and I know Kevin Keegan must have been thinking, this bloody boy just keeps scoring. And I give, I'm giving him less and less time, and he keeps bloody scoring. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's... You know, I was motivated to sort of, like, say, okay, maybe I'm not I'm not your first choice, and but I'm still going to give you that headache by scoring. And it's like, oh, well, he, he came on 15 minutes and scored. Maybe, you know, um, it's in his consideration to start me. Um, and so that's all I did. I just trying to perform the best I could and um, but yeah I mean the only one little funny funny story in, in all of that and that's between Kevin Kevin Orlack and myself because there was a point where Kevin also realized because players talk and Kevin realized Kevin Orlock like he says you're not getting no, and he says you're not getting no until about three minutes left <laughs> so he said you know, Robbie Fowler maybe he is going sc- he's either going to score or he's going to miss 10 chances, but you won't get on until there's about 10 minutes left. So, and we knew this. So we had this little joke that whenever Robbie, Robbie Fowler would, would go and miss a chance, I would get up. Certainly in the second half, I would get up and warm up. And the fans used to give this roaring, hey, go!" And so he, a couple of times when I've done it, he'll be stood there analyzing the game and looking. And so I would get up and I was like, me, Kevin, you know, he'd nudge me, or I'd nudge him, like, watch this. And so I'd get up and I would sprint down the touchline, and they'd look as though, when a player sprints down the touchline, oh, he's been told to warm up. So the fans are like, oh, it's coming on, it's coming on, brilliant, brilliant. So they they go, feet, 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 so they start singing. So I'm running down the corner, I do another sprint back up to the bench and a sprint back down. And I'm doing my little movements and stretches and stuff like that. And so the crowd starts singing. And so I can see in the corner of my eye, I'm looking towards the guy for Kevin Keegan. And he'll look in the corner of his eye like, what? His, his, his woman up vigorously It is like, and the crowd's like, oh, it's coming on. So to, to know it's a pressure, like, I've got to put him on. <laughs> I've got to put him on. So a couple of times, me and Kevin Norlock like, we're like, it's got the pressure, it's got to put you on. So once or twice we've done that, and it's put me on. So I, I think sometimes it worked. Sometimes it worked. But that was our little, that's our little joke. And it was like, Sean, sure, you can get on, decide you can get on. And so we used to have this little, this little joke, blue running joke. But just a little banter we had, So every now and again, like, as you wait for the striker to, to second half, you miss a chance, a good opportunity, and go, All right, I give Kevin a nudge and go, Sprint their warm up. So i easy to laugh, and the next thing, but they'll be like, Yeah, you're coming on. So Kevin will look at me and I'm like There you go. <laughs> so, but then again, that was like the last sort of 10 games. So it was a bit of a little joke that we had, and it got, it got me on for some minutes. It got me on.
0: Selling a little or a lot. Listening
1: to the Blue Moon podcast. Sean Goater speaking to me there. Now there is one thing to correct from that interview. Unfortunately, Goater no longer can say that he holds the record for the fastest Premier League goal from the bench. It's now held by Sammy Ameobi for Newcastle at Spurs. That was in October 2014, and it was about eight months after I'd done that interview, so it really was right after it as well. Um, also, I interviewed Sean in two batches. Now normally I'd have just edited those two interviews together, but it's plainly obvious from the background. Noise that they are two separate meetings between us. Uh, so here's part two, as Sean starts by telling me this time about how he motivated himself at City.
4: All the clubs I'd been at, I'd always been a top goal scorer. And even though they didn't really take to me the first year, to year and a half, I, I was still the top goal scorer, so I couldn't really figure out why. Um, and, and, and all I did at that time was I said, OK, who do they love? And at the time, I, they loved Paul Dickoff And I said, well, I looked at... well every time we had training sessions and I said the coach would say get a ball between two I would strategically try to get with Paul to really observe his ways and and, and what it was like and, and I really just took from from his game and thought well they love what he does um, and try to put that in my game along with continue scoring the goals and and, and Paul had an unbelievable work rate a real tenacity about him as as a, as a striker you, you he had an attitude almost like a defender um, and so I, I put parts of that into my game and that, that eventually helped me to,
1: to win them over. What do you remember of, of the first time you heard Feed the Goat? The, the, I actually, we, we were
4: playing, I believe it was was Fulham, and I thought it was actually a song that was for, uh, I believe it was moving but uh once hearing the song, it, 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 I knew it was mine. It, it was a case where the hair stands up the back of your neck, and, and that was the first sort of sign in, in my head that uh, I've won them over. But because of the journey I had in the first year to year and a half, I was never going to allow that that love that they had um, in singing the song to sort of think, well, I've made it now. And, for me, I always went into every game as though the same determination of proving I can be a good player for you. So I had the same sort of psyche as when they didn't like me. It was like, I'm going to prove to you. So I didn't really uh, get caught up too much in the singing songs about you know, you can relax, you know. I, I didn't at all.
1: And of course, Every year, you the, the critics always said, "Well, he scored goals at the, at the lower level, but he won't do it this year." How did it feel to kind of prove those people wrong?
4: What I've realised about myself is that's that's probably one of the biggest motivating things about me. I, I'm, I'm one of those that are really motivated to prove people wrong um, when they say I can't do this, can't achieve that. Uh, for some innate reason, there's, there's something in me that comes out that says, uh, I, I can do this. And then I get a focus and a determination um, that, and a, a focus that zooms in and it's like, I can do this and I'm going to prove to myself because I know I can do it. And that's where my goal and focus is. And, and invariably, most things I have, I have it almost sounds arrogant. I think everything I've pretty much really put my mind to I, I've achieved. Um, from, Wanting to be a professional player, to wanting to play in the Premiership, to even after uh, um, even after football, and wanting to set up a, a semi-professional team in Bermuda. Uh, and now my next my next step is is, is management. Um, so I do have a, a strong belief that in terms of proving people wrong, it, it motivates me like no end. And I've actually realised that as, as times going on, but. I would not have thought that, you know, uh, in my mid-20s or something. I also want to ask you about uh, your favourite City goal. Favourite City goal? Um, you know, there's a 103 goals. It's uh, it's easy to go right to the Derby games. Um, it, it's a number of goals. I mean, I really thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, the, you know, my 99th and 100th goal against United, it, because... One, it, it, it showed I had sort of achieved what I wanted to achieve. Uh, that I was capable of playing at this level and making a mark and, uh, and, and playing well. And I, got, I got many matches in that game. And, and so that was really about proving to myself. But the goals, I thought, were, were, were good goals. Because I um, did one over Bartes, who's a World Cup winning goalkeeper. So um took a lot of joy in that. And uh, the City fans, obviously... The girl, the girl they love, and I think I've equally come to love as much, is uh, the, the one that never, never fed me. Um, and it was a great, it was a great ball by him as well.
1: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Sean, go to that now, uh, Dan. When, when in, t- in terms of, of number one city heroes, is go to still yours?
3: Uh, we'll put it this way, I'm sitting um, at a desk at home at the moment and above my desk is an autographed picture of Sean Um <laughs> uh, and I don't have any other um, City players up on my wall uh, anymore. You know, I'm in my 30s now, so it'd probably be a bit weird if I did, wouldn't it? But um, <laughs> but I got I got this autographed picture of Sean Goat when I was a kid. Uh, my brother got it me for my birthday one year. And I've just kind of carried it around with me everywhere because um, I think he probably is my all-time City hero, to be honest. And I think he always will be. I think um, it, maybe he's on a par with, with someone like Pablo Zabaleta or maybe even Vincent Company. And I think it's more, it's not about the, what they were like as players. They were all good players um, to varying degrees. You know, Sean Goathe scored a lot of goals. For he scored over 100 goals for us, which is no mean feat. And, and at the level that we were playing at the time, he was a very good player. But when you when, would you put him in the all-time City eleven um, in terms of ability? Absolutely not. But it was more about his endeavour and the way he related to the club and the way he loved the club in the same way that the fans did and the way that he um, sort of played with his heart on his sleeve. And, and you know, I've met him a, a few times. I've interviewed him, as I know you have too. And he's just a really lovely, genuine guy as well. So I think um, he, he is my my all-time hero. He's certainly not the, the greatest player I've ever seen in, in a City shirt. But, um, but, yeah, love the man. <laughs> Always will. Yeah,
1: I, when you interviewed him, did you find that um, he is the single most forgetful man on the planet?
3: Uh, no, because well, I was I was talking to him about a game that he just watched. So he, <laughs> he he would have been a bit weird if he'd forgotten that. To be honest, no. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I I interview when I that interview comes from uh, when I was writing the the Wembley book, and uh, I, I'd arranged with him that the, the the last the second part of that interview was actually done first. So I, I played them out in the wrong order. Um, but that that was done at uh, an awards ceremony where it was backstage, and I told him that that we were doing this, and we uh, he gave me like kind of like. Seven or eight minutes uh, backstage at that point, uh, took my number, I took his number and said, we'll we'll arrange to to, to kind of meet up again and and do it again in uh, in future, get a bit more depth into it. Um, For one reason or another, we lost contact at that point and I found out he was coaching at uh, a a youth team, uh, not too far from where I was living at the time. And so I, went, I just went down to one of the sessions and uh, met up with him. And he looked at me as if to say, I know who you are, but I can't remember where I know you from. I like, like, that's absolutely fine. There's no reason he would remember me. Um, and so I explained what I was doing. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you come back next week? And so I, I turned up at exactly the same time next week, uh, microphone in hand, notebook ready with all my, uh, all, all my notes in. And um, he looks at me and goes, oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. Can you come back next week? Uh, so I did it again next week. And we did the interview with that next week. Um, the book comes out, and um, I've I got, I, I've had, have arranged for a copy to be sent to every one of the players. And then he did City Square um, about oh six months later or so. And uh, I've, I'm stood at the side of City Square, and I've got, I've got a, a copy of, of, of this book where I've got all the players that I interviewed to sign it and uh, sign over their page. And hopefully, I'll, I'll get them all at some point. Um, and when, when I presented the book to him. He had absolutely no idea who I was, what the book was, <laughs> what like what was going on, and I just I just thought how 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 entertaining must your life be if just everything going on just kind of goes in and then comes out again? because <laughs> it, it must just be a mad life you are living, Sean.
3: Yeah, maybe it's just that sort of island mentality, you know, he's Bermudan, isn't it? He just sort of takes life uh, at uh, half the average speed and that kind of thing, and doesn't really uh, pay much attention to what's going on around him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly. I mean, in, in terms of, of not paying much attention to what's going on around him, then um, when he first arrived at Main Road, he was he was not a popular man, was he?
3: No, he was crap. To be honest, the first. Uh, when did he sign for us, Uh
1: He signed uh, just before they went down in uh, ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Right. So it'd been kind of like April ninety-eight time, just before the transfer deadline.
3: Yeah, that's right. Because obviously he scored in the five-two at Stoke on the last day of that season, didn't he? When we went down, anyway but um, he got he got injured doing so. And a, a funny sort of little short go-to memory that I have actually was that a few days after um, City got relegated at Stoke, they played Jamaica in a friendly, as uh, some people will probably remember at Main Road. It was a warm-up oh, for the, the 98 World Cup. And, uh, and me and my dad were at that game. We were sitting in the Platte Lane stand and um, someone, I think some guy that my dad knew through work or something, shouted down from the, from the tier above, um, he was like, oh, we've got a box up here. Do you want to come up? So, like, yeah, all right. Yeah, so we, we went up to this box. And when we got there, Sean Gota was there. And we just sort of, like, watched the rest of the game in the company of Sean Gota which for a young <laughs> kid like me was, like, mind-blowingly good. But at that point, he wasn't, like, a very popular player. I remember my dad used to joke about the um, the Jean-Paul Gautier aftershave. He said, "City should have one in the club shop, which is Sean Gautier. And when you spray it, it misses because he was just, like, <laughs> constantly couldn't hit a cow's arse with a, a banjo. Um, in those days and I know it was the season that we got back into the first division having been in the third division um, I been mean, in the second division two should I say um, that he really started scoring goals and really sort of won the fans over and that was when the Feed the Goat uh, song all came about and all that kind of stuff so yeah it was a, it was a bit of a slow burner for Goat and people do forget that he was not just um, sort of unpopular but like quite hated I seem to remember that people there was a real of vitriol towards him because he was just so bad
1: I think it was I think part of it was that but I think also part of it he was he was seen as a player as a a, a kind of like a lower league plodder and Mm. that was I think a lot of fans didn't want to admit that that's where City were at that time and that's that that was the, the level of player they needed um and in a weird way, like he was a lower league plodder, but he also wasn't a lower league plodder. He was so much better than that when mm. when a City grew. Does that does that make sense?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, again, like the, um, the 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 player final at Wembley, it was sort of him who went through a goal and then kind of got tackled in a really. Uh, <laughs> sort of untidy way that the ball squirmed for, for, for Horlock to make it 2-1 I remember thinking at the game like oh god of course Gota didn't score because he's fucking shit kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I think he got tackled for, for Dickoff's goal as well you he might, yeah he might have done that, actually yeah and um but yeah i think i think he he in some ways go to epitomize the kind of revival at, at, at that time at under city that he when he started playing well and scoring goals everything sort of started coming together and he also played for city at a really a really good time in the club's history when they were in the ascendancy and um you know he left um, in the first, he played the first season back in the Premier League under Keegan, and you know he, he's written in a book about how he was kind of forced out, frozen out under Keegan, and it's quite sad the way that it it, it ended for him at the club, really. Um, but I think he, you know, he was he was part of one of the best sort of little periods in the club's history, and he he played a crucial role in that. So. He he played his bit in in the same way that a lot of a lot of players from that era did in the same way that you know Sergio Aguero has done and all that sort of stuff. He he is part of the history and of the club and and if there's um, a City Hall of Fame, he deserves to be part of it. I think
1: he absolutely does. I mean, we we, we talked about those derby goals in the in, in the Patreon show um, a, a little bit of which uh, you heard a bit earlier on. Um, it, it's quite fitting, I suppose, that ninety nine and one hundred for City came against United, isn't it?
3: Yeah, of course. Especially as he started his career at United as well, um, and, and kind of got rejected by them. And I think um, you know people who, who hear the Patreon special will say that the the commentator actually mentioned in the the commentary that he he, he, he didn't work out for United, and now here he is scoring against them, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was absolutely fitting. Um, and uh, what? What a great moment that was, and and uh, a great day for him and for the club, and um, yeah, that, that will always be him being fed by Gary Neville will always be uh, <laughs> one of my favourite football memories of all time.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's rule those two out then. Yep. Um, but other other than those two uh, in terms of nostalgia what's your favourite go to goal
3: I think for me the one that epitomises Sean Goater perhaps more than any is that one that he scored against uh, Charlton at Main Road <laughs> do you know the one I'm talking about when it kind of came over his shoulder I, when he tries to volley it and it kind of rolls down his, his uh, shin and flicks up off his foot and lobs the goalkeeper um, Yeah, I
1: remember it I remember it perfect because I, 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 I used to do a, a video series um, where I would put uh, kind of, like, I ranked City's goals in kind of like best Toe pokes and things like that. Oh yeah, uh, and that was in my uh, best flukes. And people used to say, "That's not a fluke." He meant that. I was like, "There's absolutely no way he meant to put backspin on that ball to lob it over the game. No keeper. chance. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That, that that was just the ultimate Sean Goat goal for me. He was he was a very untidy player, very sort of gangly, unseemly player, um, not aesthetically pleasing footballer whatsoever but he scored a lot of goals he worked really hard he played football with a smile on his face and he got a bit of luck sometimes and that's that's Sean up for me in a nutshell.
1: Yeah a, cu- a couple of my uh, my favourite goals uh, he scored one at Leicester um, where he had absolutely no idea he'd scored it and his reaction is fantastic um, it's because the, I think Mark Kennedy puts a cross in and Tim Flowers comes to punch it but he just punches it like down onto Gota's back. He's got his back to goal and it hits the number 10 square on his back and then hits the roof of the net. And he obviously must hear the crowd jump up from the away end, turns around for a bit, sees that he scored, smiles and runs off with his arm in the air. And it's just, it's, it couldn't sum him up more. He's just in the right place at the right time so often. Yeah. Uh, so there was that one. And then it was one he scored uh, where he linked up with Ali Benabia at uh, Gillingham, where... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think uh, it was... I just remember, again, the commentary being, uh, like, Gota, Banabia, Gota, Banabia, as they played a a couple of one-twos on the edge of the box. And then Bernabia had it with his back to where Gota was running. Gota was running behind him. And he just flicks it up with a back heel, like, slightly off the ground, and Gota volleys it into the bottom corner. And it's a fantastic finish.
3: Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that thing that Bernabia did before or since. How do you flick the ball with a back heel? I mean, I've played football, not to any great (laughs) level, but I could never do that. I don't think most players could.
1: I I can't shoot, mate, so I'm not not going (laughs) to comment. There's a a reason I play in goal. You know, I can use my hands that way. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business.
1: Right, uh, we're going to finish now with uh, Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you can send in uh, your questions uh, for us to, to to have a go at answering. Uh, send us a tweet on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, ben Johnson is first up on Twitter to ask, uh, would you be willing to give up this season's League Cup if it meant City remained as champions, if this season was voided entirely?
3: No, I mean, it's not about the League Cup for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be willing to give up this season's League Cup. I wouldn't be willing to uh, void the season if that can be avoided at all. I don't think it's um, it's a good idea in terms of Um, everything that's kind of happened this season it sort of feels like um, I remember uh, I once had like a a game going on football manager a few years ago and something happened to my to the file that got corrupted or something so I had to start again and I was playing the season again but I could never forget the, 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 the previous file that I played if you know what I mean so I could never sort of forget that this season had already been played and it'd just be kind of weird if we just like tried to forget that this season had happened and you know the, the the league cup we've won the fact that Liverpool have you know deserved to win the title having you know the gone into the this little hiatus twenty five points clear I just think it would be a very bad idea and uh, and not a very fair way to do things
1: it's not uh for me it's not just the league cup either um mm. because uh, Sergio Aguero would lose his his record of hat tricks in the Premier League that'd go um he'd also lose the the foreign score record that'd go as well. Um, but City have also they're one missed penalty away for the record of um, consecutive missed penalties in the Premier League. And being a, a big fan of typical City from like nineties, and noughties, I just I, I don't want to lose that record. I want I, like, I genuinely think as long as City miss it in the next Premier League game like, <laughs> with a with you know, like with nothing riding on it, so like the three 0 up already, and then they miss a penalty again. Like that that would level the Premier League record, they need two more to beat it, and I kind of think at this stage now yeah, we should be we should be aiming for that yeah. yeah that that reeks
3: of city that record doesn't it actually yeah, we need that one, put that one on the and, uh, on the wall of the stadium, I would say if we get that one, yeah.
1: And uh, the Real Madrid result as well, which I think is is one of City's best ever results in Europe. That'd go as well. And I kind of like, I kind of feel so much of the season has been played that that I don't want to lose, even though it's not been a brilliant season for City. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot to lose still from a. From a fan's point of view, that that kind of a attachment to I think what you're saying, that attachment to all those all, the, all those moments.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're always going to look back on this season and, and think, what what a weird season that was. You know, quite apart from everything that's gone on recently with the um, the coronavirus stuff, it's just been a weird season in general for the city, hasn't it? And um, one that we perhaps won't remember very fondly um, in years to come. Even if we if we were to win the Champions League, even if we get to finish the Champions League, um, it's it's been a strange strange year. So um, I would like to think that there we'll get to finish the season at some point and, uh, and we can just move on from it really
1: now uh, Ashley Swift asks on, uh, on Twitter along a kind of similar vein uh, for next season once we get this season finished would a shorter regional league be an option for one season Bring it back in line for the 21-22 season it would also pump money into our local sides that are really struggling and give us something different for a year
3: well I mean that is a novel idea that is perhaps the most novel idea I've heard so far Um so so in this regional league we'd be playing like Oldham and Rochdale and teams like that? Yeah, exactly.
1: I, I, I think so. I th- I think it in that kind of sense it might be like a like a, I don't know, like a greater London League and a greater Manchester league, and okay. a Merseyside okay. League sort of thing. Maybe uh, maybe may a bit bigger, maybe like north west, like north east, southwest, south east, that sort of thing. I don't know.
3: Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, you think that City would probably probably win a, a West League quite comfortably, wouldn't you? But um, they, they'd, have... Oh, they'd have to
1: go to Liverpool. Wouldn't they?
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I was I was thinking sort of greater Manchester teams at first, but then you think Liverpool. Yeah, God, that would be quite difficult. Yeah, maybe they could even just do a North the a North and South sort of conference. Uh, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, that is an interesting idea that I had never thought of, and. Um, why the hell not? Let's do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, give it a go. I mean, these are weird times. Let's just let's just, just chuck football at the wall and see what sticks as <laughs> well.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Going to move back to, to a, a few more footballing matters now. Uh, so uh, Barry Ternan on Twitter asks, Could the club justify losing both Mares and Sane this summer? And are there alternatives out there? Or would Guardiola have to change his plans if those two left?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean this Mares rumour has come about in, in recent days, hasn't it, about him going to, to Paris Saint-Germain, whether uh, there's any truth to that at this point, I mean I don't know whether sort of transfer activity is still going on behind the scenes, I suspect it possibly is, um, if 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 PSG are looking at Mares, and that would suggest that perhaps Neymar is going to be leaving them this summer or, or maybe even killing Mbappe, which will be quite interesting, um, I still feel like Sane is probably going to go at the earliest opportunity, um, so I don't know if if selling both of those players would be would be such a good idea, um, and and who they would replace them with, I'm, I'm not really sure either. They've, they've, mm-hmm. There was um, talk of a guy called Oyazabal, who's at Real Sociedad, who was the, sort of seen as the long-term potential Sane replacement. Um, I've not really heard much about him since last summer in terms of City being linked with him or or him doing anything particularly brilliantly for for Sociedad. So I'm not sure what the uh, what the transfer plan is it all it seems kind of weird to be even thinking about this at this moment in time given that we don't know when the summer uh, transfer window uh, is going to open when the season's going to finish and all that all that sort of stuff um and, it, and it's a weird one with Maras as well because he's been one of our better performers this year but I don't know if I'd be too heartbroken if he left would you?
1: I'd be quite upset to see him leave. I think. Would you? And I think that's. Yeah, I think that's because I've really warmed to him this year. Uh, last year, I was, I was, I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was by the end of the season, I was really concerned that he just was never going to settle at City. Um, there were concerns as well with. Like even right up to that Brighton game, I remember on the on the final day at Brighton when when Guardiola had named his team, and I was thinking, why has he picked Mares on today of of all days sort of thing? And in fairness to Mares, he proved me wrong that day. He played really well, and that was his first kind of that that was almost the kickstart that he needed for 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 this season. And then this season, I think he's been brilliant. I think of that 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 performance at Aston Villa, for instance, where he absolutely ran the show, and he would have got man of the match, were it not for uh, I think De Bruyne that day. Um, it just there's it would feel a shame to to have had him for two years, kind of not really got a first season out of him because he was settling in, and then just as he was finding his feet, to then kind of cash in and uh, uh, and look for somebody else to maybe have to spend a year doing the same, you know, bedding in and then getting then getting um, something out of them. Then so I, I'd, I'd actually be quite sad to see Marez go. I think like you with Sane, I think I am resigned to losing him. I don't want Sane to leave. I think Sane a brilliant player. Um but uh, but I, I am resigned to him to him leaving whenever the, the summer transfer window does open in the end.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I was reading something yesterday about Barcelona. Um, I, I think apparently they're a little bit worried about how, I mean, the the, the the long and short of it is a lot of clubs are going to lose a lot of money from from this delay to the season, um, even if it does end up going back ahead, um, if they end up playing games behind closed doors and that sort of thing, which I think is probably going to be the, the first... Uh, football that we're going to experience again. They're probably probably going to start playing games behind closed doors. I would imagine before they start slowly letting fans back in in, in dribs and drabs. So I think the next transfer window is going to be a bit of a weird one because clubs aren't going to have an awful lot of money to spend. You might see that these sort of eye water and transfer fees, you know, Neymar going for 200 million. That's probably not going to happen for a long time now because clubs just can't afford to spend that, even the, the PSGs and, and cities of this world. Um, in terms of City players that are going to leave, like, you know, you've got to think we've also got this Champions League ban hanging over us. We don't know what that looks like yet. We don't know how that's going to affect things. So there's so many things up in the air at the moment that it's really hard to say. Um, what's going to happen in the next in the next few months in terms of transfers or anything else
1: yeah uh, just a, on a similar point then in, in that case as well Rob on Twitter asks as all of our centre-halves should be fit by the time that football starts again is it time we sell Otamendi and promote Garcia as number four centre-half
3: I would be totally in favor of that. Yeah, I mean, regular listener of the show will know that I've been quite uh, vocal about my kind of support for Rotomendi over the years, but I think this is the year that he finally kind of jumped the shark for me, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and I I don't, I I dread him playing now. And you know, you 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 look at the the last game against United; he was dreadful in that game, wasn't he? And he's not going to get better anytime soon. I think he's sort of um, done his bit for the club in terms of the way he played in the, the the Centurion season and that kind of thing. But I think it's time to let him go now. And especially as we've got a player like Eric Garcia, sort of waiting in the wings, who I think is brilliant from what I've seen so far. I've seen nothing to to suggest that he's he's not ready for the first team. Um, I think it was the Sheffield United game over Christmas where he played, and I remember tweeting after the game that he was absolutely flawless that day. Flawless. Could could have been the Everton game actually, but he was he was amazing that day and he he is sort of a, a young head on uh sorry an old, an old head on young shoulders he's really calm he's good at bringing the ball out from the back you know i know sam lee's done some stuff on him from the athletic this year about how he's like doing his coaching badges already and that kind of thing so um i think we've got to make the most of this young talent while we can and um and if we get rid of ottomendi i would like us to promote him and i'm not, not sign anyone to replace ottomendi basically yeah.
1: We, uh, me and you both know that Ottomendi has not jumped the shark he's dived in on it <laughs> yeah it, 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 it was swimming at him and he just dived in it swam straight past him. That's, what, that's what happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so that's it for this week thanks for listening and wherever you are keep yourself safe during the next few weeks and months special thanks to Dan Burke for joining me for this week's show thank you for having me Uh, no problem at all and uh, don't forget you can sign up to Patreon and get some extra city material as well plus more of these goals that are memorable for their commentary take a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and it's just two dollars per month or about £1.70 if you're living in the UK I'll be back next week with some more Manchester City discussion whatever it's on I'll uh, you know we'll decide that in the week join me then Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue
0: Moon Podcast. Selling a little or a lot. <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify there to help you grow. go to shopify.com/ audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com/ audioboom
1: Let's talk about MediCal you have a choice and Molina makes it easy especially when it comes to the care you need So let's talk about you about making your life easier about extra help to manage your health Let's talk about your needs now and for the future.